WBNE. Hello, and welcome to episode 110, All About the Hobbit, An Unexpected Journey, Part 2, being the 110th part of That's What I'm Talking About. My name is Mary Clay. If that's too complicated for you, just call me MC. And today I'm joined once again by John Negroni. John, thank you so much for coming back on and especially for movies that don't have the greatest reputation. Welcome. Good morning. (laughs) What do I mean by good morning? Do I mean that it's a good morning whether I like it? Okay, no, we're not going to do all that. That was the last part. That was that was last week's episode. But I did watch you. You asked me like, well, John, you've never seen the Hobbit movies before. So... Maybe maybe it's a good idea to watch the first. Like I can't even imagine if I had watched at forty three minutes. Like that would have been. Well, weird. I some people do. I think come on, having they just watched that chunk. But for the Lord of the Rings movies, I never felt like I had to say, you know, please make sure to watch the things leading up to it to add more context because mm-hmm. people are obsessed with those movies and they kind of already have them memorized and they already know what's happened. Also, it's like, it would be my honor to rewatch that. It's Lord of the Rings. <laughs> yeah. Um. So when I, so I reached out to you and I was like, would you like to come back on for the Hobbit movies? And you're like, this may shock you. Shock you. I've read the Hobbit, but I have not watched the movies. And I was like, why? I wish I had known this because I 100% would have had you on for a book episode as opposed to a Uh, movie episode. Well, to be fair, though, Hobbit was summer reading list for young John, 13 year old John. I read it so long ago. I barely remember it. Although, like when I was watching this movie, I I did have that moment. I was like, oh, yeah, I think that was in the book. I think I I actually remember the name of the chapter. It was like out of the frying pan into the fire where they're like Mm -hmm. around the. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So it was summer summer reading is what brought you to The Hobbit. What grade would that have been for you? Let's see. That was middle school, I think. And I I think the last time we talked, we were talking about Two Towers, right? The movie. And I told you how I read those books for summer reading as well. I just had a Tolkien thing. Every summer was an adventure. I'll tell you, an adventure to the Shire. How about that? That's beautiful. What a beautiful way. I uh, there was a while in high school where every summer I would read the Harry Potter books I would or I would do like my annual reread of them during the summer Mm. Um, and then I probably have not picked them up since the summer of I lied because I co-host I co-guest slash co-host regularly on a Harry Potter podcast so I have picked them up since then but (laughs) did I ever tell you I I never read them until a few years ago so I was like, I think it was like 2016, I read the entire series in like a couple months. I did not read them until I was in eighth grade and all of them had already come out because I wanted to prove to everyone that I was reading them because I wanted to, not because everyone else was. Well, yeah, you're, you're MC. You set the trends. You don't, Yes. you know. Exactly. Duh. Um, I'm definitely the first person to do a Lord of the Rings podcast. And I'm also definitely the first person to do a podcast that's like, I'm experiencing blank for the first time. Um, <laughs> I am a trendsetter. First first Lord of the Rings podcast with a name as cool as that's what I'm talking about. That's I think that's... That is true. Yeah, yeah, I think that's on your Wikipedia page. I will give the second Lord of the Rings podcast with an amazing name only... And I'm only giving them second place because they came after me and it's Mordor she wrote delicious is that not amazing how to get as well a, and i was how like to get away from mordor mordor <laughs> how to get yeah how to get away with mordor <laughs> there you go 
that's good. That's good. And then I originally, when I messaged you and was like, do you want to come on for the movies? And you said, oh, I haven't seen them before. And I was like, oh, I'm not going to make you watch them then. Like, that's up to you, Bella. And then like maybe a couple days later, I was like, actually, I do need you to watch them. Can you come on? Well, I, I should because I, I held this off. I didn't. I didn't tell you the story because I was like, it's good podcasting material. I don't want to just you know waste it on a Twitter DM, right? I know what all of our conversations are worthless unless we can sell it, commodify yeah. them in some way, right? Our talents, you know, exposure. That's that's what's important. Mm-hmm. No, I just I, I get it. You know, it's I'm the cinemaholics guy. I, I review movies every week. I see hundreds of movies a year. And it's pr- it probably sounds preposterous. Like, there's what three movies, three Hobbit movies, four? No, it's just three. It's three. I don't even know. Um, there shouldn't be three, but there are. I I believe that. Um, but <laughs> I mean, I I always knew the narrative of these movies. So like, what the first one comes out in 2012, and 2012, I was not a full blown critic at that point. You know, I was I was mm-hmm. right out of college. I was just kind of like I was hanging out, I was blogging and stuff, but I wasn't watching like every movie. Um. This was like a, a couple of years before I would have my first press screening, right? So by the time The Hobbit, it like become, I was just never interested, you know? And so like the sequels come out and I'm like, well, I didn't see the first one. I don't want to see the first one. I will admit though, I did see part of the first one, um, like 2014, I want to say. I was with some friends and I, I, I got to the part where, you know, the dwarves are coming in and everything. And I know we're talking about later down the line of the movie, but... You know, the, the doors are coming in, Martin Freeman's Bilbo, he can't stand it, and I fell asleep. I, I was like, nah. And so I've always had that distaste of the movies. I've just found them kind of boring. And I say that as someone who knows, for your listeners who are like, John, you know, I was on the Two Towers. I, I love Lord of the Rings. I love the books. I love the, you know, I write fantasy. I, I, I think Tolkien is an absolute genius. Like the way he mm-hmm. adds poetic prose to fantasy, the the concept, uh, especially in The Hobbit of like, what if, you know, we had like a medieval high fantasy story, but with like a regular person in it. It's such a cool idea for a story, but I just didn't like the movie of what I saw of it. And so then you were like, can you talk about the, like, what is it? Like 40 minutes in the middle of, the first movie yeah it's like the second 40 minutes the second 40 minutes okay and i was like okay why you know what it's on hbo max easily accessible i should just do it what do i what do i have to lose besides time that could be spent writing books (laughs) what do you have to lose you have a lot to lose uh from watching these movies okay so what was your general so have you just seen the first one so far yeah i didn't finish it um but you know not that not that i would like it got to an That's hour a- 23 and I was like, oh, finally. It actually wasn't like that. But I, okay, good. <laughs> I was just tired. I want to go to bed. I had to. That's actually what I had to do with my first watch through of the first movie is it was I started it way too late in the night. <laughs> and I uh, I think it was like because I was trying to watch it on. Um, I had like just moved into my new place and I was trying I hadn't set up the TV in my room yet. And I was trying to get like the Roku going and then the battery wasn't working and then the remote wasn't connecting. And by the time I get it hooked up, I think it was like 1030 or 11. And I was like, oh, that'll be fine. And then around like 12 30 i was like oh my god this is still going (laughs) there's still a lot more left of this i'm calling it a night and i will watch the rest tomorrow morning (laughs) on on that note i was kind of wondering this while i was watching it and i was like getting into the part where it ends like you know at the hour 23 and i was like man this would work as a miniseries right 
like the first 40 minutes, it's like, it kind of works as a show. And if I didn't have like two hours and 50 minutes of commitment I had to give to this thing in a movie theater, I wonder if that would be okay. Like, I don't know. I think think it, I don't know. Cause my general thoughts is that, um, and you'll see if you decide to watch the rest of it, I think you'll see what I mean too. But my general thoughts are that like, this is definitely, these are definitely not three movies. It very much feels like one movie that they cut into three parts. Whereas, you know, Fellowship of the Ring, Two Towers, and Return of the King, they each have a definitive beginning, middle, and end. end yeah, each of they them. have arcs. They have, they're movies. Yes. You know, they're, yeah. they're books. <laughs> and so. The Hobbit, they don't really, especially Desolation of Smaug, doesn't really have a definitive end. And they don't really have a definitive middle or like something that they're like, you know, they're climbing towards the the climax and, and the peak, you know, conflict of the movie. And so I th- don't know how it would work in a miniseries then, but it could work if you're just doing it in term in, in our like modern day setting of, you know, you sit down and you binge watch an entire, you know, you release, mm-hmm. you know, eight episodes and you watch all of them in one sitting, then I think that might be that might be interesting. That's what I'm thinking. It's just like, yeah, all three movies, but you don't call them movies. They're just like episode one. It's like here are the dwarves, their backstory, and then it goes right into Bilbo's adventure. And can can I can I say something nice about this movie? Yes. You don't, yes, you don't mind? Please. It, okay. Yeah. All right. So I can see you, the person listening right now. I, I see you with your headphones in, and you're kind of like mm, skeptical. But let me try. I actually think when I so when I paused this movie at an hour and 23 and I saw how much time was left and I was like, and there's two other movies and I assume that they're pretty long as well. I was actually kind of interested in how that actually did sell how big this adventure feels and how that is such a big deal to Bilbo who sort of discovers within himself that I'm going on an adventure and it does make the thing feel more epic i know the cool thing to do is to be like it shouldn't be three movies and i agree like it it shouldn't the way that they have it laid out from what i can tell is like you're just extending something too far but at least from what the first part of the first movie promises in theory this does to me kind of make sense that it's this long engaging thing does that make sense yes yeah i totally get what you're saying and i I, I feel like I've already started off too negative. I don't want to be, my, my goal is to not be too negative. Um, but I was, uh, I was texting with Tyler and Ethan a few hours ago. And I was like, I think my rewatching, it's the reverse of the Lord of the Rings movies. Rewatching the Lord of the Rings movies for my coverage, I think enhanced the movies. And I was able to like appreciate them a lot more. And I was able to, take it in and and notice details, you know, after multiple, multiple watch throughs, the first watch through of these movies, I was very much like that. It wasn't great. It wasn't great. It wasn't the greatest, but they were okay. They, they were definitely movies. They entertained me in some capacity and I'm, uh, still trying to come in with that like I don't know levity and have some kind of optimism, but I also worry that after multiple 
watches, I'm going to be like, this is nonsense. This does not hold up after more than one watch. <laughs> so I'm going to try and avoid, maybe you can help me this episode. I, I'll try. to avoid I, going too negative on it. I'm just so curious because as the person who this is the first time watch, I'm so curious about what you just said there. And so is this the second time for you then with these movies? Yeah. So I've watched all of them through completely one time. And then I have watched up to this point twice. Wow. If that makes sense. Oh boy. So I've watched the first half a total of two times. Um, yeah, and I don't think I will be. And actually, no, I was going to say I don't. I was about to say I don't think I will be going back and rewatching it, but I will be rewatching it next week for Tyler and Ethan's podcast, <laughs> Bacon and Eggs. I mean, so then, in other words, you're kind of testing out the miniseries model because you're watching an episode a week. Pretty much, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Which is why I don't think an episode a week would work. I think it would be okay maybe if it was just all back to back to back. In case you didn't get enough in the beginning, Balin gives us more exposition about the battle for Moria between the orcs and dwarves. In the battle, Azog, the pale orc, beheads Thror, causing Thrain to, I guess, just disappear out of grief, and Thorin to step up as the new leader of the dwarves of Erebor. Using nothing but brute strength and a log that for some reason is really important to him, Thorin slays Azog once and for all. Or does he? On a nearby cliff, orcs see the company of dwarves and send word to their leader that they found them. It's a good thing we just got all the exposition about the dwarf orc battle. While traveling in the pouring rain, which Gandalf could probably stop if we knew literally anything about how his magic works, the dwarves ask about other wizards. There's Saruman the White, the Blue, and of course, Radagast the Brown. But we don't have time to see- okay, I guess we do have time. We meet Radagast, who is- a wizard somehow despite the fact that we have 15 other characters that we've been following for about an hour now suddenly you become very invested in the well-being of sebastian the hedgehog radagast runs frantically through the forest trying to save him as everything around him is mysteriously dying almost like it's witchcraft or something <gasps> witchcraft when his house is nearly overrun by spiders who are probably descendants of our girl boss shelob radagast hops on a sleigh pulled by rabbits yes a sleigh of rabbits and escapes meanwhile thorin decides to suddenly ignore the advice of the literal wizard who advises them to seek shelter elsewhere like possibly rivendell but thorin never forgave and he never forgot so gandalf storms off dramatically because he never does anything casually that night keely feely and bilbo discover nearby trolls have taken some of the ponies not the ponies and bilbo is sent to save them but of course bilbo isn't very good at adventuring so he gets caught and the dwarves burst out just in time to save him but i mean like I said Bilbo's not good at adventuring and they're forced to give up when he's caught again. Because he's the only one in this group who has more than five brain cells, Bilbo stalls for time in an act of bravery that I don't remember happening in the book. Wait a minute. This didn't happen in the book. But of course, Gandalf's going to enter dramatically with a beam of bright light, like he always does, and saves the day. After collecting some treasure, swords, and letter openers from the troll cave and hearing some classic Gandalf words of wisdom, Radagast finds Gandalf and reports that he followed the spiders. Why couldn't it be follow the butterflies? To Dolgerder. To Golder. Dolgerder. He follows them. The king of the dead army, I mean, the ghost of the witch king attacks Radagast, dropping his blade, and Slenderman appears. So Radagast flees to safety on the sleigh of rabbits. Slenderman? The witch king coming back to life? That's concerning. But there's no time to worry about that now because the orcs have found them. And they can't get away because the ponies ran off. Thank the lord. That is the best possible change they could have made. 
So naturally, Radagast distracts the pack of orcs and wargs from the dwarves by leading them on a chase on, you guessed it, his sleigh of rabbits. The diversion works until suddenly it doesn't when the dwarves give up their location by killing an orc. Like I said, they have five brain cells collectively. The dwarves put up a good fight and Legolas, I mean Keely, takes out several orcs with his archery skills and keen elf, I mean dwarf eyes. Gandalf leads everyone to safety to this totally random cave that just so happens to give them safe passage to Rivendell. What a coincidence. All right, well, let's jump into this discussion. We are picking up with some dwarves snoring and keeping Bilbo awake. And I love that little character moment that like Bilbo, he's not used to camping. He's not used to being outdoors. He's not used to being surrounded. But hobbits probably don't snore, it occurs to me, because snoring is a very, you know, like impolite, disruptive thing to do. And all these dwarves are snoring and keeping him up. (laughs) And they're so small. Like, I think they're too small, probably, to have that. You know, they're small and, you know, little. They're not stocky. You know, I think that's... Yeah, their hobbit's nasal cavities don't allow for snoring. (laughs) I mean, if he's the burglar, then you have to be so sneaky, right? You can't really... You can't snore if you're a hobbit. Doesn't make sense. And there's one dwarf in particular who, as he's snoring, moths are going into his mouth. And then when he snores out, they go out of his mouth. And that's both disgusting. And yet again, it's another dwarf that I am not able to distinguish. I don't Mm -hmm. know. Uh, John, I don't know if you were watching this being like, okay, okay, that one's Keely, definitely. Because they yell yell Keely a lot. Um, I know him. He has the arrows. (laughs) Yes. Because he had a moment yes. in this where I was like, oh, is he going to die? And I like, I was a little too excited about that. But he's okay. I will say nothing. <laughs> Except for me saying nothing gives oh, a lot man. away. Okay, well, there's but that. But theoretically, you already know that because you already read The Hobbit. You uh, just don't remember that detail. I don't, I don't remember the names. The only names I remembered were like Dory and Nori and Oin and Gwyn. I have no clue which ones Dory and, and Nori are. I, I still don't know who, who the dwarves are. I don't either, actually. <laughs> so, so I just remember the names. Yeah, I know all of their names. Could not put it to any to the majority of their faces. It's like the reindeer. You know, you remember Rudolph, but dancer, yeah, prancer. But, what am I supposed to? Oh, actually, here here's a little piece of trivia about the dwarves and the creation of the dwarves. Um, they were designed with unique silhouettes so that each dwarf could be recognized by his body contour, even in the dark or from far away. And I think that was great in theory, except for like. I still don't know. I wouldn't be able to be like, oh, that silhouette is Nori Yeah, <laughs> or, well, you, or whatever. The thing that helps you remember characters is characterization. And yeah. so if you're only like a one dimensional archetype of a character, that's not going to stick in somebody's brain. So you like you yeah. remember, I don't remember his name, but you remember like the older dwarf. The, I, I'll call him exposition dwarf. I think that one is Balin. Balin. Yes. That one's Balin. Yes. Um, you remember him. And then you remember, okay, leader dwarf Thorin. You know, he's the one with the character development. The reason you remember them is because when they talk, they reveal something about themselves. The other dwarves, it's like, like I remember the young ones a little bit because they have something to prove, but that's yeah. character. Why am I supposed to remember the one with the red hair knots? He kind of just acts like the other ones. Mm -hmm. Um, And I just wish that there were a few more moments where there are all these like group scenes of the dwarves where one of them would address the others, which is something that like, you know, in everyday life, you weren't, you know, we wouldn't be in a group and I would turn to you and say John five million times. But like in a movie, you kind of need to do that. And so it would have been nice if like, I don't know. 
so I guess they were all asleep, but it could have been nice if someone had maybe said something about, you know, the dwarf that was snoring with the moths about like, oh, Nori is terrible at snoring or something, you know, it's just something to help us piece together who these pe- who, who these characters are that we're going to spend the next three movies with. I have, I have one other proposition. Here's something they could have done. They could have named them different, like renamed them. Um happy sleepy grumpy dopey you see what I'm- and then they look <laughs> yeah happy exactly. dopey grumpy exactly i thought you were gonna say they should just all wear name tags that would be which interesting. I'm also that would have been nice if gandalf had given them yeah. um like monogram it, it is a party so. little caps would have been would have been nice yeah. um anyway yeah so bilbo gets up um and he's grumpy it's classic martin freeman grumpy face which i'm gonna i think that's gonna be this round of movies new elijah wood derp face <laughs> uh which i said a lot <laughs> um you know what face i'm talking about oh, i mean <laughs> he makes it it's the whole trilogy <laughs> it's the internet you know all coming together around one beautiful image yeah and um and martin freeman yeah martin freeman just makes this it's just a great face for Bilbo in a lot of situations. Um, and he goes to take, I appreciate this tiny little moment so much. He goes to take care of the horses, the ponies, who I think he's named one of them Daisy. They've they've named some of them, which adds a little bit of stress later on. The fact that they've named them makes it more heart-wrenching and stressful. But I think it's so adorable and cute that Bilbo's gone to take care of the ponies and it's like, oh, don't don't tell anyone because I don't think he's supposed to be like befriending the ponies. Hmm. I mean, good good screenwriting there. I mean, giving us a little bit more stuff to like about Bilbo because, you know, he's a bit persnickety. He's a bit stodgy, but we still got to like the guy. So if you show the kindness, the sort of like him willing to put in his neck out, for others that's helpful information yeah there's some screams or noises in the distance and bilbo's like what was that and keely and feely are the ones who are like oh those were orcs they like sneak attack particularly large groups at night and they it'll be a silent slaughter and you won't even know what's happened until it's happened and then they kind of like laugh because they freaked out they're kind of they're kind of like they're the like younger siblings of the dwarves but they're kind of being like the older siblings to bilbo of like pulling his leg and uh like messing with him and then dad thorin comes over and is like shut your mouth you don't know anything (laughs) if you kids don't get along i'm turning this caravan around (laughs) and balan the old one the exposition dwarf as you previously said goes into exposition and is like thorin more than anyone has reason to hate orcs and this is the then he tells this um, story and we get to see this battle that happened outside Moria after Smaug attacked the mountain. And I don't recall if this is something that was detailed in The Hobbit in passing, like if someone like briefly mentioned like, oh, yeah, Thorin's like grandfather and father had this battle outside of Moria and that's what they've like expanded upon or if they've just completely made this up. And that's what's like difficult. And I just read The Hobbit. Like I just yeah, finished I have my read no idea. But I would believe it if they were like, well, it does tie into Gimli. It does tie into what happens in Fellowship. So sure let's add it in there but can can i say i haven't obviously i'll just reiterate i haven't watched the whole movie but this is the first big red flag for me this entire yeah. scene up until this point i have been with this movie it is a little indulgent to start with like a 10 minute prologue 
of but where the again, dwarves come through from, right? That's how that's how Fellowship of the Ring starts out. Sure, so you, it, it's easy to forgive because that is a fantasy trope. Fantasy tends to begin with prologue, and that's that's mm-hmm. totally understandable. F- fantasy tends to have tangents too, for sure. But up until this point, I think there is a certain pace and speed and urgency to this movie. So then it stops because that's this is the first time I felt like they were putting something in here because the movie wasn't long enough and they were feeling like we have to pad this because that entire scene pointless. Yeah. Because it what does it tell me that I don't already know about Thorin? Basically nothing. Because Balin has already had this whole talk with Thorin about how You've done well for us. You've fought for us. You've been a true leader. We don't need this extravagant spectacle of Thorin fighting. Show that to us later. And they do, right? Mm-hmm. We're going to see him do really cool things. So why do you have to show a flashback? Allude to that stuff. You know, like it's just a couple sentences. It'd be like, orcs killed his grandfather. Whatever you have to say, like speak to it. You don't have to just mm-hmm. derail the whole movie to show me this orc that i'm just like i I don't even know if he's going to come into play later in the movie if he does i guess that but that's the thing is like if you're going to devote this much time that means that that orc is the villain of the whole thing and if it's not and uh, okay you can't you're you're smiling because you're just like (laughs) oh yeah he doesn't know what he's in for i'm smiling because it's ridiculous they have made that orc the villain of the whole thing is that really wow Okay. And do you want to know what's even more ridiculous? So I said that like I don't specifically remember if like this battle is meant. I, I I totally agree with you that that we did not need this very gratuitous. And what what's crazy is that like you know you were saying they maybe stuck this in because they were worried the movie wasn't long enough. It's two hours and forty minutes. I think they like they didn't. There's a lot of things they just didn't need. They just wanted mm. to make it a long movie. Can I can I, I clarify then? Because you're right, you're right. And I think what I mean by a long movie, not necessarily in runtime, but in terms of stuff that's in it. It's like we have to have mm-hmm. this set piece, this set piece. It's not necessarily like we need to add extra minutes. We need to add like this story doesn't feel like a real story unless we squeeze in um, enough action, like a quota for action set yeah. pieces. And that's what blasts the runtime. It's almost like there's this insecurity with this movie. Like it has something to prove. It's like, no, no, no. Peter Jackson is being like, yeah, this is just like Lord of the Rings. This is the same epic scope, the same battles, the same la di da instead of just make a freaking hobbit movie that's all we want yeah exactly yeah i think it easily could have just been i think that was one of my notes that i put down here that like this easily could have just been you know them sitting around the campfire and balan saying you know his his father his grandfather was killed by this orc and his father went mad from grief he had to step up and be the leader and that's the day that i saw him become the leader who i believe he could be today you know how long did that take me to say just now you know we could have done we we could have just done that but no we have to cut to a very like extensive battle scene that also it doesn't look good there's one shot in particular that i was like wow that looks like an animated movie um the cgi is just not good it's like world of warcraft kind of level it feels like yeah can i can i ask you then like and sorry in terms of like watching this movie i watched it on like a 5k monitor so i didn't watch it on like a big tv or anything like that like i didn't see 
sort of like as many of the imperfections as I might have on like an OLED TV. But how do you, how do you watch these? I don't think I've like watched the movies the same way more than once because the first the first watch through I did on my like kind of small TV, I watched this part on our very big TV in our living room. I watched the first part for the first episode like on my computer so I haven't watched it consistently um but today was and this part was the first time that I had watched this movie um on a bigger tv and it definitely like didn't I noticed a lot I did notice like a lot more of the moments where I was like this looks like really bad CGI and sometimes it's okay and I put that there's like there are a couple points in my notes where I'm just like this doesn't look bad there's nothing that I put where I'm like wow that looks great but that's exactly it that's exactly it there's nothing that I was just like oh this is ugly this is disgusting but there's a lot of this is okay and there's no like that's amazing how did they do that yeah it's really just it's really probably just Gollum is anything with Gollum in these movies is when I'm like how did you know well I know how they did it but I mean, it's still impressive th- they can do Gollum in their sleep I mean that is yeah, just, at this point yeah, yeah. um I, sh- I should not sorry I should not diminish the amazing talents of all of the visual effects engineers all I'm saying is that like they're so good at it it's just like they, yeah. dribbling a basketball they just know what they're doing and they're so good well at they've it. got that's the thing is they I think they know and if you watch the rest of this film you'll see it too because Gollum, if it's spoiler alert, <laughs> I mean, uh, yeah, Bilbo has to get the ring. I should have watched the whole thing. <laughs> <laughs> Bilbo has to get the ring at some point. I guess. Uh, I was watching one of the movies with a friend, and we were joking around, like, "What if this sequel just retconned the first movie trilogy, even though it happened, you know, chronologically happens afterwards? And what if it just creates an alternate universe in which, like, Bilbo doesn't get the ring?" <laughs> And then just like what happens from there. It's a what if, but for Lord of the Rings. Free idea for you, HBO Max. So this battle, what I think happens in the book, talking about like this history. In the book, by the way, they are goblins, not orcs. And it does mention this goblin. I was going to ask you about that because I was like, I don't remember yeah. orcs being in the book. Is so that- I didn't. Yeah. And I also, I was about to say, I didn't put t- that together until I didn't even put that together. One of my guests mm. had to tell me. Why didn't they just make- it was make- the second to last chapter. And he was like, you know, goblins in like when Tolkien was writing The Hobbit and he wrote goblins that like those creatures later like evolved into what he later calls orcs see i guess that makes sense i i was kind of when you said that i was like kind of wishing like just do a different looking kind of thing because goblins would be kind of cool and they mention goblins in the movie don't they i think so too yeah there's like all these different breeds and they all look a little bit different yeah Mm, okay it's kind of confusing yeah oh it's i can accept confusion and this head Orc, the pale one, they call a couple times a- Azog, um, is the head orc. And I believe in the book, I could be misremembering, but in the book, I'm pretty sure Azog is dead. And it's Azog's son who has a beef with the dwarves um, because the dwarves killed Azog, his father. In this battle, in the movie, Azog kills Thror, who is keeping these names straight, who is Thorin's grandfather, who I thought I thought that Thror died because he's the king of the dwarves. I thought he 
died in the mountain when Smaug attacked because I thought Thorin was trying to get him to come away from the treasure and he wouldn't leave it. But obviously, I don't remember that, even though I watched it a week ago. That's a good rewrite, though. I mean, that would be kind of like, that'd be good backstory. I'm surprised they didn't do that. But yeah, I totally don't. I totally am misrem. I'm like Mandela affecting myself. <laughs> um, thro- uh, no, what's his name? Thrain, Thorin's father, um, goes like mad with grief, and he like spends his. I don't even remember what exactly they said, but like he just disappears basically, and they don't know. If yeah, he- no one knows where he is. Yeah, yeah. And Thorin, as a result of this battle, had to step up, and that's what Balin talks about. Um, he steps up and faces Azog at one point. Pulls there's it's like a log that he pulls up, and this is like his mystical shield now. Is this piece of wood? And they call back and to then, it. It's like what? It's dude, just get a. You're good. Get a shield now. Like, yeah, like I'm like I don't know why we have to like make this like log. You know, have as much mythos around it as Aragorn's sword. Like it's we we didn't need that. That wasn't in the book. We didn't need to add that. It just feels like a oh that looks kind of cool. Yeah, that looks kind of cool. Um, I will say, though, in the exposition of the battle that we're watching, there is a moment where Thorin, after the battle, he like steps up onto like a, I don't know, a pile of rubble and he's like looking kind of dirty and sweaty and like the wind is blowing. And I, in that moment, I was like, okay, yeah, he's looking pretty good. He's pretty hot because a lot of people say Thorin's really hot. I don't think he's exceptionally hot. I just think he's attractive. But in that moment, I was like, okay, yeah, I see it. I see it. I get he's it. Got the, yeah. He's got that rugged dwarf, like, oh, I could change him kind of appeal. <laughs> yeah. He has like this afterglow of the battle. <laughs> I don't know. Um, yep. Then like in real time, everyone like turns and looks at Thorin and Thorin's just like standing off by himself, dramatic, like very ominously and dramatically and like the wind is blowing. And then he like turns around and looks at everyone else um, and is like, I'm literally right here. Like you're talking <laughs> about me. You're, you're talking about like one of the darkest yeah, days of my life. And <laughs> There's a lot of that. Like <laughs> where it was, he was just like sitting there the entire time letting people regale his legends. Like, <laughs> Yeah, it's weird. Like I would have understood it if he had like, because it when Balin starts talking, like telling this story, it looks like he has like kind of stormed off to be by himself. Yeah. But then like everyone slowly starts gathering and is listening and then he's also there. If I like, I just think that was a very weird moment. Sure. To be fair, where's the dude going to storm off to? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, they're like on a cliff. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And and he says like, well, we have nothing to worry about now. The pale one is dead or like died of his wounds long ago. And Gandalf and Balin exchange this look like. Mm -mm, Sorry, uh we read the script. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know if. I can't remember if maybe they go into this detail later of like why Gandalf and Balin know and Thorin doesn't. If that was something that like he does know that he's still alive and he's just like lying, you know, lying to himself to make him feel better about it. Or if Gandalf and Balin somehow do know and they've been keeping this secret from him for Mm, whatever reason. Probably close to the other suggestion where like it's probably he's making it sound like it's a sure thing. But they don't like it's probably more like no one knows. And so it could be either way. And it sounds like he's just sort of fooling himself or not reckoning with this issue that's probably going to come back up in the, to the forefront again, I assume, based on what you are hinting about what happens in the rest of this movie. Yeah, it's real wild is all I got to say. 
<laughs> it's a lot of and we see more of that in, in this next scene too. The next morning they're all riding in this pouring rain. We get another great Martin Freeman grumpy face <laughs> as he is riding the pony and like yeah. holding the reins and just is like regretting every choice he's ever made. <laughs> didn't didn't Balin or one of the dwarves call that it was gonna rain too? Like I think the day before. Like it's going to rain. Oh, did they? Uh, well, yeah, I think in the first part of the movie, when they go to his house in the Shire, somebody says that. It's like, oh, it's going to rain. Oh, good little detail then. One of them is a is a, we- a weatherman. I mean, they've traveled a bit at this point. A so weather boy. I was kind of questioning that. I was like, well, he was right eventually, but it's not like he was right that night. Well, however, they do give these little like hobbies to each of the different to or not each of them but some of the different dwarves to like we were talking about earlier to try and like distinguish them like bomber the fat one is the one who is is cooking a lot and so i don't doubt there could be one of them who is like really well versed with like nature and traveling and knows the weather Um, that would be a really cool detail they all have quirks if they did that yeah they all have their quirks yeah and yeah the dwarves are like gandalf you're a wizard can't you make this stop and he's like i don't know (laughs) I don't know what Gandalf does, and I don't think Gandalf knows what Gandalf does. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, reading through all the books, one thing I remember about Gandalf is that best thing about his character is that you don't know what he's literally capable of. So it's like it's like the the movie playing a joke of like he probably can fix it, but he just yeah. doesn't want to. Or it could yeah, be that just... maybe there's a hidden cost to it, and it doesn't matter that the reader knows that or not. But at the Gandalf character. Can I can I get something off my chest about Gandalf? Yes. There are people who say that one, a problem with Lord of the Rings, a problem, it's not a problem, a problem with Lord of the Rings is that Gandalf is too powerful and that he's like a deus ex machina. Like the story literally has to like remove him from certain situations so that he can't just fix everything. I think that's, I think when those moments happen, it's just more, it's just funny. I just think it's funny. And I think it's also just in the nature of Gandalf's character to be like, I'm going to go. And I, I get it. I think what I like though about, or what I think is important about the character of Gandalf, including in a situation like this, is that it reminds you of how small the protagonist is that somebody this powerful is in the party he just sort of exists as this character to really sell that like bilbo is so out of his element and it's just such a useful thing and yeah you know the plot has to do a few contortions in order to stay exciting and interesting in the presence of that but you know it's it's just a a little tolkienism that i think is very very smart and also very influential because we have a lot of great modern stories that borrow from what Tolkien kind of did with that character balancing. Yeah, absolutely. Gandalf's uh, there. I think one w- one of them asks if there are other wizards, and Gandalf says, "Yes, there's Saruman the White," and he says there are two blue wizards, but he can't remember their names. Um, and there's Radagast the Brown. He doesn't even want to mention Radagast the Brown at first. He's like, and that's it. And there's like, wait, wait, you said five. I'm like, ah, oh, fine, Radagast uh, the I'll Brown. I'll tell you about this other guy. <laughs> so the reason he says that he can't remember the name of the two blue wizards is because they are named in Tolkien's um, in the Unfinished Tales, which is a collection of his notes and ideas that was edited by his son Christopher. Oh, okay. And the filmmakers did not have rights to that. So they couldn't use um, their names are Alatar and P- Palando. Well, now you got to pay P- them Palando, for saying that. Yeah, I guess yeah. And they didn't have they didn't have the rights to the unfinished tales, so that's why they had uh, Gandalf be like, I don't, I forgot their names. 
<laughs> and I just thought that I thought that was like a very fun workaround yeah, yeah. that also kind of I believed it, you know. It I matches. thought it was I thought maybe the reason he yeah. said that was because maybe they, Tolkien never wrote names, but of course he would have written names for them. But that he wrote fits, names for everyone. That fits Gandalf's personality. He's like, yeah, yeah. You only need to care about Saruman. He's he's the best. He's my favorite. He's my best friend. We're always gonna be friends. Where he's he's always gonna be on our side. It's gonna be. But I will say nothing more. Okay. Um, okay. <laughs> and Bilbo asks like the best like backhanded insult, what compliment, whatever. He says, "Oh, is Radagast a great wizard, or is he more like you?" I got that too. And and, and Gandalf <laughs> is so powerful that he it slides past him. He's like. Pfft. Okay, yeah, whatever. I don't have a thing to so prove to funny. you. Well, it's because Bilbo only knows Gandalf's magic. He do- he hasn't seen him right. do any magic other than fireworks, exactly, basically. Yeah. And so he's like, so is Radagast like, you know, Saruman, who's this huge, you know, super powerful, serious wizard, or is he more like you? And he like just goofs around. Gandalf is so like sweet in his answer. He's very much like, you know, a mo- my... um. My grandma will always tell us if she's like calling to, let's say like one of us graduated from college or something, and she would call and say, oh, I'm just so proud of you for your graduation. Not that I'm not always proud. And it feels like when Gandalf says like, well, he's great in his own yeah, way. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Gandalf. It's like something a parent would say, yeah. And then we cut to, I think, possibly my least favorite part of this entire trilogy. Oh, Radagast the Brown? Radagast the Brown. I possibly am going to take back anything I ever would have said about uh, Tom Bombadil being cut from the Fellowship of the Ring movie. And this is a huge moment because I worry that if they had put Tom Bombadil in Fellowship, it would have been this. That it would have been kind, Mm. it would have felt like this, where it feels like the entire story, which like is the point of Tom Bombadil, and the entire story is derailed. And you're like, why are we with this goofy crazy being that we know virtually nothing for, about for and several like, minutes by the way it's yeah so we cut we cut to radagast the brown whenever he takes off his hat he has a either his hair has been formed into a bird's nest or like there's just a bird's nest sitting up there um we don't and know. then in case you were wondering what like the gray stuff on the side of his face was at first i thought it was like scales or I something thought it was bark tree bark it's bird poop it's bird poop Okay. That's just running down his hair and down the side of his face. You know what? Why not? Why not? Um, He's frantically running around. For whatever reason, he's like the wizard of nature. And he's frantically running around because like mushrooms are dying. Animals are dying. We get some very like sad shots of like bunnies and foxes that are just lying there dead. I did not like any of this. It made me very sad. Yeah. Oh, it made me very stressed. Even more so when he picks up a ailing hedgehog named Sebastian. Immediately, immediately emotionally attached. Yeah. To Sebastian. And I was like, why, why are we, we are dedicating several minutes to, so he runs back to his little hut and he's like, oh, nothing's working. Nothing's working. It's as if this is from witchcraft. And then there's a long pause and then he goes. The Harry Potter theme starts. Witchcraft. (laughs) (laughs) And he like starts making up some potions and starts turning into like a magical cure for this hedgehog named Sebastian. And at one point, Sebastian does die. And I'm like, why do I care about this hedgehog? <laughs> We're in the middle of I mean, he's a middle cute Earth. hedgehog. I wanted him to live. <laughs> I was like, why am I? Well, that's what I'm saying is that, I mean, I don't think I ever, I didn't, I didn't want him to die either. But I was like, why, why? Like, if you had told me when I was, when I was reading The Hobbit, 
that I would find myself caring immensely about the health and safety of a hedgehog named Sebastian. See, the complaint I have I is, you were insane. why does Sebastian have a more compelling character arc than like eight of the dwarves? That's what I'm curious about. <laughs> honestly, honestly. Um, so fun fact, the voice of Sebastian was provided by Teddy Bear, the porcupine from Zooniversity in Texas. I know some of those words. Dot gif. <laughs> <laughs> that, like, that entire sentence was a journey. Zuno, it's zoo and then university. It's just Zooniversity. Is this where like the animals from Zootopia go to study? In Texas, that's what I'm imagining. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. That's where they go, yeah, to study. A porcupine named Teddy Bear provided the voice from him, which I thought was adorable. Also, how did they, did they audition? How did they get to Teddy Bear? How did they decide a porcupine? How do you name a porcupine? I mean, Teddy Bear is an interesting name for one, but. No, it's funny. Okay. I think it's cute. I think it's cute. I think it's fun. Like when you name like a tiny chihuahua, something like, I don't know, Igor. tiger. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Super <laughs> whatever. big and it's like... beast. Okay. It's, <laughs> hey, Avatar did it. <laughs> and anyway, so Sebastian, don't worry, listeners. I know this is the most we've ever cared about a character thus far. He does live. He does, Radagast does revive him. And then even even worse, just things just keep getting worse. A bunch of spiders start like crawling down his house and you like see them creeping over his windows. It's terrible. I'm assuming is that spider supposed to be the spider? Is that what they're getting so- at? So... They encounter spiders later in Mirkwood, and I believe they are like descendants fr- or related to Shelob, who is the big spider in Return of the King okay. that Frodo and Sam fight. I can get on that page. Which, again, JK Rowling, copy and paste much? Mm, okay, all right. <laughs> whatever see hot takes and then just when you're like okay so this is this there's this crazy wizard and he's using magic to save a hedgehog in a forest with dying mushrooms it gets even crazier because he jumps on a sleigh that's pulled by bunnies okay 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 i get it it's not cinema right it's not scorsese but tell me you didn't feel something when you saw those bunnies rip roaring across the land. It was kind of cute and it was kind of funny, but I was mostly just questioning immensely why is this on screen? Sure, but counterpoint, they're bat bunnies and they're- rabbits carrying a kooky old a wizard. wizard across the forest. And it's like, I just imagine that the animators and the visual effects artists must have been doing this and be like, this is the most fun we've had in this entire project. <laughs> oh my gosh yeah and that was just when i started wondering is this what it would have been like if tom bombadil had been in fellowship of the ring and if it is i apologize immensely but i still i don't know i still think it would have been fun i thought i I stand by i stand by my original statement i thought this whole thing was okay like i was like ah sure i don't think it was like the worst thing i think they just go too not too it's not like they go too far with the jokes for radagast and in his everything it's that like they I don't know. They just focus like a lot more time on him than I think we need to where I'm like, we could we could cut this. Yeah. You know, we don't need this entire bit of him trying to, you know, bring this hedgehog back to life. Maybe what it is, is that I I was finally experiencing characterization. And so I got caught up. That is true. Yeah. I was like, we do get at least we finally get to just like sit and watch one character. Yeah. 
it was a little bit more focused and I was like, okay, mm-hmm. I don't have to like keep track of all these competing wonderful actors doing their best to stand out in a very difficult screenplay <laughs> where that sort of thing is almost impossible. Yes, that's fair. Um, let's see. So then the group, the the dwarves and Gandalf and Bilbo uh, are getting ready to stop for the night and Gandalf is looking around and is like, this place was like recently attacked. We sh- probably shouldn't stay here. Um, and I know where we can go. It's nearby. It's real safe. It'll be, you know, we ca- I have friends there. Um, they're elves. But... We'll definitely be safe there, and Thorin is not having any uh, any of it because it's elves. This is, and he's like, "Where were they when blah blah?" And then that's when I realized Theoden, who famously says, "Where was Gondor when the Westfold fell?" Theoden and Thorin would very much get along. There you go. There you go. Because they're just holding grudges for their people. I guess one thing, and you probably are more up to speed, right, with the elvish politics of these stories, but one thing that I, I guess I can never quite put my finger on is, like, everybody expects the elves to, like, solve all their problems. The elves are kind of looked at as these, like, really powerful beings, and it's, I don't know, it's just a lot of, like, how come you didn't do this? How come you didn't do that? And it's, like, the the messaging there, I kind of get what Tolkien is going for, because he, he was writing this stuff, right? after the first world war yeah mm-hmm. i guess what i'm curious about is like if he saw the elves as sort of like this country that like could do something that could sort of sort of step it in didn't... it sees itself as a leader but yeah. then it doesn't take the action necessary to help the brave english you know gondorites you know in their battle against germany you know what i'm saying it's like yeah there's a little bit of that subtext i'm i'm kind of now looking at this from a you know in a more modern day perspective of the elves could be seen as like the elite rich and like the 1% and corporations who could step in and help a lot of people. It's coded um, that way. And provide benefits for their workers and take care of them and pay them a livable wage. But instead they use all that money to go to space. You totally. And I think there is an element of that that he intended. You know, you could definitely do it very easily today. But like this idea of the elves being the 1% of having all of the wealth. I mean, that it's coded. Like their cities, like Rivendell is like freaking, you know, El Dorado. But then the dwarves, they they take great care to be like, these were people who had, you know, pride. They had their homelands. They're they're like the middle class or like the blue collar, you know, they're kind of forced away from their homelands. You could also sort of make um, a connection to them because of the way that they're sort of like migrants and they have to go from place to place and they're hated. You know, you could you could bring some of that into it. Got to be super careful, of course, because of, you know, a lot of the anti-Semitism that was in Tolkien's time, but I do think that he was very sympathetic right. to portraying that the right way. Also going to bring in J.K. Rowling for being like, eh, I'm going to mess that up and do a terrible job at that considering the way that she portrays that sort of coding. Oh, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Again, I, I brought it up a few times when I was reading The Hobbit too. of like the reason I am critical and point out those, you know, fallbacks of Tolkien and The Hobbit and his works is because a lot of people do look at Tolkien as this as laying the foundation for fantasy and an entire genre. And then what happens is that you have uh, anti-Semitism. And I mean, there's a whole other we can go into a whole bunch of other issues with yeah, how many hours with, with fantasy. Do we have? <laughs> but yeah. um, that's what happened is he created, uh, yeah, some anti-Semitic tropes based off of the dwarves and greed. And there was a couple like letters and other things that he wrote after The Hobbit regarding that and realizing that like he made a mistake, but like the damage had kind of already been done. Right. I totally forgot what we were talking about. <laughs> we were talking about, we were talking the, about fun the Hobbit movie, and lightness. <laughs> uh, oh, and I was going to... 
I forgot to bring something up. Oh, the elves. Up. That's right. The elves. Right. But can I bring up something super fast, by the way? I don't know if you saw this. Yes, please. But when I was kind of looking into this movie a little bit and you brought up the animals, the animals, you know, Sebastian, the best character, mm-hmm. um, a lot of animals died in the production of this movie. 27. That is unacceptable. I heard unacceptable. They, they had some issues with PETA and mm-hmm. here I'll read. This is like pulled just straight from IMDb that kind of summarizes what a disaster these movies were production wise. Lindsay Ellis has a wonderful, wonderful collection of video essays on YouTube. Yes, uh, I've been trying to get in contact with her to have her on. <laughs> it'll be tough. She's tough to get a hold of, but... Yeah. yeah, I mean... Okay, the movie went through several stages of pre-production hell, including separate legal disputes between New Line Cinema, Peter Jackson, and Tolkien family members, which complicated production. When MGM finally moved the project forward in 2008, more complications ensued when MGM entered uh, bankruptcy and froze production, causing director Guillermo del Toro to step down after three years of pre-production. Later, it was almost cast out of New Zealand when several unions and guilds blacklisted the project and shooting was delayed again while Peter Jackson recovered from surgery for a perforated ulcer. And that's just skimming the surface. Um, And I know that they had issues with PETA. Yeah. uh, And uh, somehow PETA gone, which I say with a grain of salt because PETA also isn't necessarily the greatest organization in terms of animal protection rights. And there are some other organizations that I think do more productive work. But um, when you have PETA coming after uh, a production of this scale, and I believe that after that, they had to switch to like CGI animals. Yeah. Yeah. And so that's extremely unfortunate. And. Very sad to see. Have you have you talked a lot about like the budget of this movie yet or kind of like how expensive it was? No. Do you have any insight into all of that? Well, because you brought it up, right? It, we really don't know how much it costs them to make just this movie. Now, on the one hand, it made over a billion dollars in 2012. I mean, that's crazy good. But on the other hand, uh, its budget, some people say, I think they reported that it's it's somewhere between 200 and 315 million dollars which is a lot obviously if i was looking at all the financials what they had to deal with in terms of the rights in terms of um, not just the actors contracts but a lot of the delays the reshoots all of the issues they had with that we just went over this thing probably cost could have cost like double that we're talking like 600 million dollars so when you really look at it looks like it's one of the things that might have really come close to tanking mgm in certain ways even though it, it's not like they, they made money off of it i think that that's for sure but i haven't looked at the financials for the other movies but i have to imagine they did not do as well as this one it's probably no i i can I can definitively tell you because I bet if people walked into the movie theater and saw The Hobbit, this first one, I don't think they would have been as excited to see this, the other two. And then especially after seeing the second one, I bet a lot of people did not see the third one. So this is, this is what I said in last week's episode when I was sharing some trivia. I was like, with the Lord of the Rings trivia, it was always like, oh, isn't this fun? And isn't this cool to hear like how much the actors loved it and like how much effort went into it and all of the details? And then now when I share trivia, it just gets like really depressing <laughs> and dark. Right. I guess you could say with all of these tangents, we're we're going there and back again. Oh, yeah. Good one. Good one. Sorry, um, I, I probably so yeah. look a little smog right now. <laughs> that was good. That was good. Okay. Do you have another one? You know what? I do, but I'm not going <laughs> to... 
<laughs> Are you going to save it till the end? You can save it till the end. I'll think about it if I remember. Okay. So Gandalf now just gets really mad at Thorin for being really prideful to like too prideful to go to Rivendell for refuge and to like stop on their journey. And so Gandalf just f- off and leaves them. <laughs> Whereas in the book, Relatable. he just Irish goodbyes them because they all of a sudden look back and realize Gandalf is no longer with them. Like they've been like walking along this path and then they realize at some point Gandalf st- just disappeared. What, what is Gandalf? My own grandfather? <laughs> too dark. Um, but here... Here, he very much leaves them because he's frustrated with Thorin. And he's like, I've had enough of... Oh, and Bilbo's like, where are you going? And he says, to find someone with sense. And then he says, who's that? And he says, me. Yeah, the only one around here was sense. It's funny, though, because it's like you go... the, The character of Gandalf so far does not make sense to me because he's humble enough to not care, right? When Bilbo doesn't consider himself... doesn't consider him a great wizard... But Thorin questions him on like one thing. That's what I don't get is like, why should we maybe listen to the wizard? Well, that's why I wonder. Maybe I wonder if they sort of try to lamp or if they're going to try to lampshade it by saying it's it's because he he looks down on Bilbo. You know, he doesn't. If Bilbo's so sweet. He likes Bilbo. Maybe looks down is the wrong word, you know phrase. But with Thorin, I think it's like a disappointment. It's a sort of like, man. You just don't get it, and you have so much to learn, and I just can't even be around you right now. Like, I can sort of buy that, but I just don't—I don't think it's well communicated. It just comes across as inconsistent. Yeah. Uh. So later that night, Gandalf has still not returned. Bilbo's very upset, and all the other ones are like, "Eh, he's a wizard. What are you going to do about it?" Bilbo is instructed to go take some bowls of stew to the lads, and that is Keely and Philly. They have been watching the ponies, and he goes over to them, and they're just standing there, and he. They're like, so we've got a problem. Our job was to watch the ponies. There were 16 and now there's 14. (laughs) We don't know what happened. In this moment, they are giving me very much himbo energy, which is when you have male characters and and men who are kind of dumb. They're not the brightest, but like their respect, basically like they would be respectful of women still, or like they're still very upstanding, like courageous, like good, they're good hearted men, but they're just a little bit dumb. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. You know, we, <laughs> and I think we know that's those also men. a lot of the dwarves in general. Yeah. This, I, I can picture a few people. Uh, Kronk from hey, Emperor's New yeah, Groove is, yeah. the, is the prime himbo example um and so they go they start like looking around and trying to figure out what what happens and all the meanwhile bilbo is still following them around with the bowls of stew and i love that because it's so hobbity for him to like one care enough about these like bowls of soup that he doesn't want them to go to waste and also like he's kind of being like motherly where he's like i i was like I was instructed to give you food and I need to make sure you get your food like eat your dinner and they eventually come across uh, in the distance trolls and that's where they discover I think their names are Minty and Myrtle the the ponies have been tied up and are probably going to get eaten and again the fact that they named them just stressed me out I was like, no, now, now I care about. Yeah, them. yeah. Well, that's how you know that like they got to be rescued because if they're nameless ponies, then you look at Bilbo's care. rescue attempt and you're just like, that's dumb. Why would you risk so much for a couple of horses? But it, it, they could have also, in addition to naming them and getting across that Bilbo cares about other creatures, get across the fact that they need these horses. 
you know, even though they don't really, I guess like they just sort of like F off eventually, but like, yeah, they got kind of like literally, actually, now that I think about it, literally like in the next scene, they're yeah. like, the horse is bolted. Yep, yep. Waste, we don't have ponies anymore. Waste time. So yeah, this is all for nothing. Um, thank you for bringing that up. And Keely and Feely send Bilbo out to rescue them. And they're like, okay, who you know once if you need help twice if you don't and bill was like wait what's happening by the time he turns around keely and Philly are just gone they just disappeared i liked the trolls i think they i think they looked pretty good i don't think on i should say they looked fine when they when it was just them and it wasn't them interacting with other or like in a fight sequence and i also i liked the voices that they went with for them and the characterization was kind of funny it was very um i thought on par with the with how this scene worked in the book. Sure, superior to J.K. Rowling's troll, who is not nearly as engaging. Yes, who do yeah, who uh do not speak and don't have names. Yes. And it's a fun sequence. You know, I remember watching like a a YouTube video a few years ago that was sort of like getting across like ah, uh, you know, the Hobbit, it showed one scene from The Hobbit and it showed one scene from Lord of the Rings. I forget which one it like what like video this was but they were saying like oh man if you look at this lord of the Rings scene it has all this tension and it has this sort of like you know there's not this slickness to the presentation of like the characters being in danger and i, and I internalized that and i was like yeah this, the hobbit this movie i didn't watch doesn't have that but this is an example of that like that's there this is a well-staged scene of like we've got to infiltrate yeah. and like you don't he's gonna get caught and then you know it's not like i don't know i guess there's this narrative that like peter jackson phoned it in for this movie. And I think that is probably true to some extent. I think that there were some creative shortcuts that they made. But it's not like he stopped being a good filmmaker. Like it's it's not mm-hmm. like that's not here. It's just sort of it's it's just a different kind of movie and you can you can see the missteps a little bit more clearly. The flaws are a little bit more pronounced. Yeah. But scenes like this, I was like, man, this is not as bad as people were telling me. Yeah. And <laughs> well, this, yeah, this scene. And also, this is a very iconic scene um, from the book. It's a very iconic scene. Also, just it, like if you've only seen the Lord of the Rings movies and you haven't read The Hobbit at all, but this is the story that Bilbo is telling the little Hobbit children at his party. He's talking yeah. about the trolls. And I was telling you uh, earlier, I was, I remember, this is like the Hobbit chapter I remember the name of. Like, I remember a little bit better than others from from when I read it at 13. So. Do you... Is it, is it okay if I correct you? And yeah, you yeah, of that, course that I got wasn't it wasn't the chapter. Um, out of the frying pan and into the fire is a chapter name. It's a little bit later on. This uh, chapter is called Roast Mutton. Yes. I got frying pan. Or they're so I cr- cooking. I, I put it to, together. Sorry to crush your hopes and dreams. It's okay. They'll recover. <laughs> you like feel Bilbo's nervousness as he's like trying to like sneak over and like grab the knife like off of um, one of the trolls like belts. And you it's really funny because he's like trying to like gear himself up to like actually reach out and grab it yeah but you know (laughs) here's another moment though here's another moment where i was like wait when did he get so courageous that's a very courageous thing to do here's the thing they really uh they really step up bilbo in the movies and this is the first instance of that he's a much more active character in the movies than he is in the books and he's actually participating and doing things and like even if he's like making mistakes he's still like doing stuff whereas so 
I'll tell we'll, we'll we'll talk more about the scene and then I'll share a little bit about how uh, it plays out in the book because it's a little bit different. Okay, he gets scooped up at one point and gets blown into because the troll was like reaching for his handkerchief and he's covered in tro- troll bogeys, yes. as Har- Harry and Ron say. <laughs> when they show the troll holding Bilbo and Bilbo's like in his hand covered in the slime, that is when it looks very CGI and it does not look good. Yeah, so he. Gets Gets captured and then Keely and Feely or Keely jumps out and then the rest of the dwarves jump out and then we go into this huge battle. I expected sequence. the theme, you know, like da 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 like it's that yeah. kind of feel. Yeah, and that's what I was noticing a little bit um, and later in the other battle, too, is it is kind of a bummer. There's not, aside from, like, the Misty Mountain song, there's not really too many, like, musical themes about the Hobbit movies that, like, blow me away. And I'm like, wow, what an amazing piece of score. So far, the only thing that's stuck out to me at all is the Shire. But, yeah, I mean, of course. and, like, that's not that's not even from the Hobbit. That's just exactly. from, that's him just... reusing a theme that yeah. we all know and love you know yeah which is fine it's very comforting and it's very familiar for us and i think we all would have been really mad if they you know opened on the shire and there wasn't the shire music playing. you know but it did need an actiony kind of epic sort of thing to stand out too you know and yeah bilbo does get the ponies out yay the ponies are safe they'll stick around he eventually does he, he does get captured and all of a sudden everyone's like that they're like, put down your weapons or else we're, we're going to like break them apart. And they're all like, oh, fine. And I'm like, oh, look at them caring about Bilbo, sort of. Yeah, <laughs> so like a few of them are cause... reluctant, but they, they have a code. You know, they have an honor and a pride. Mm-hmm. It works because it's like, it's yeah. not like they know Bilbo super well, but there, there is this like likability to the dwarves being, having integrity and being like a good, yeah. you know, they're not just in it for themselves. They're yeah, not they're mercenary. not about to let them die. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Plus, he's their burglar. They kind of need him later on. True, true. (laughs) And so the way... And then they all get put into uh, either the dwarves are tied up and put on like a a roasting whatever rotary thing over the fire or the rest of them have been put in sacks that are like cinched around their necks. And so the way that this this scene played out in the book, though, is much more, it's much less dramatic and action-y. Bilbo, yeah, they tell Bilbo, they're like, can you go investigate and see what's happening over there? He gets caught by the trolls and then eventually... Like one by one, the dwarves wander over to see what happened to Bilbo and the trolls put these bags over their heads just one by one and there's no fight at all. I think this is this is one edit that I think works to the movie's favor. Oh. Yeah, so they they added a, a, a that would have been very boring, and they added this into changed this into a battle that makes sense. And then we do get again. This is a moment where Bilbo, movie Bilbo, steps up. Where book Bilbo was like, I don't know what's happening. Mm-hmm. Um, movie Bilbo, because the the trolls are like, we better start eating before the sun comes yeah, up, yeah. and we'll be turned to stone. Which. The logistics of it make no sense because he's obviously stalling for time, right? But like, they don't have time to eat all the dwarves, even without the distraction. They yeah, I know some. it's gonna take a while for them to cook. Yeah, and like Bilbo, it's not like Bilbo is stalling for hours. Like, mm-hmm. but, but whatever, trolls aren't smart. Um, there is, I forget, they were talking about like seasoning or roasting or cooking, some and it sage. gave me big like, we ain't have, we ain't had nothing but maggoty bread for weeks <laughs> vibes of, of the Two Towers orcs. Yeah, yeah. We ain't had nothing but maggoty bread for three stinking days. That's when Bilbo is like, 
ooh, I have an idea. And so he steps up and he starts telling them how like, oh, I have another suggestion for how you could season them. And actually, I don't think you should eat them at all because they're they're poisoned. They're infested. They have pet worms in his tubes. It's what Bilba says. And then the dwarves get offended. Um, like, I don't have any. But then they figure it out. I'm like, I, I have it. huge you worms. See, you see Bilbo. It's fun. Sigh. He like rolls his eyes and sighs because he's like, I'm trying to help yeah, you. Yeah. And y'all are idiots. They're so dumb. And Thorin is the one who kicks the dwarves mm-hmm. and is like, go along with it. And then there's this long pause. And then they're like, I've got huge parasites. It's fine. <laughs> It doesn't make any sense, but it's fun. Speaking about doesn't make any sense. To save the day, Gandalf comes in, of course. <laughs> Which, yeah, reprising the way he comes into Helm's Deep, right? With the dawn. And the way he comes in yeah. to what else does he do? Like literally any other time he enters to save the day anywhere. And he smashes his staff on a rock and it breaks which I suppose you could say oh yes that is magic in the book I believe he does actually emit some kind of like beam of light which would have made more sense Um, and it it would have tied into the weather things established earlier yeah because so he breaks the rock and that lets in a stream of sunlight so this is my question and this is like one of my issues too and it's kind of I'm going to use the example in Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban when Lupin transforms at the end the full moon is already out it's already out and high into the sky but it's just hidden by a cloud and they they don't reveal that it's a full moon and he doesn't transform until the cloud moves away and the same thing kind of happens here we're like the sun is already up it's yeah. already up so is it just like I guess it's just the direct sunlight just fine we have to do I guess that'll again work. this is another case of yeah but it looks cool it looks it cool when look he breaks cool. the yeah. rock and then yeah it doesn't make sense yeah and they but. they turn into stone and then i'll have to go back and look and see in fellowship of the ring when frodo has been stabbed by the the morgul blade and they're like trying to they like set him down on the ground and they're looking for a uh, herb um and it's like right before like arwen shows up if you look in the background, they are by the trolls that have turned into stone, these trolls. And so supposedly they have turned into, when they turn to stone, they turn into the exact same positions that they are in that you see them in Fellowship of the Ring. Of course, this is all hearsay because I have not, I have no memory (laughs) of of these trolls in the background of that scene. But supposedly that's what I hear has happened. And I meant to go and check beforehand, but um, I forgot. So (laughs) Thorin really tries to blame this on Bilbo or he's talking to Gandalf about something. He's like, if it hadn't been for your burglar or whatever, uh, Gandalf is like, he saved your butts. Like he had the, he at least had the smarts to try and stall before, you know, sunrise. Which, okay, that makes sense that Bilbo would be the one sort of like outsmart the trolls. That is a, a clean way to establish that he's smart, that he's mm-hmm. a normal guy, but he's clever. Um, and I kind of mentioned earlier, like the point of this story for Tolkien was what if we had a normal person, not this like fantastical knight in shining armor, what if the main character was like you were you were a normal person thrust into this amazing adventure? It clicked with people because of the World War II of it all, people being whisked away on an adventure to save the world from you know, fascism, right? But then it's like little things in this movie where I'm like, where Bilbo is kind of acting like this sort of like roguish, like the fact that he does so much to try to like sneak around the trolls, he suddenly has the courage to like go for the knife and like do all of this stuff and none of it, it just doesn't 
connect. And like that part of the scene, I think is fails because I don't know, he just, he doesn't have the same like level of reluctance and an incentive structure to push him to do something like that. It, I think it would have worked a lot better if it had been pushed more that he was doing it because he couldn't bear himself to see the ponies die or something where he's just like about to leave. He's like, I give up. Yeah. But then he sees like, oh, the ponies are going to die. I, I got to do something. And then he does something desperately. Ponies. I don't know. Yeah. They go to investigate the cave, the the, tr- the cave that the trolls have been staying in because they're like, well, obviously they couldn't travel during, um, you know, during the day. So they had to be staying nearby. And some of the dwarves bury some treasure be- to, to come back and dig up later. Um, and Thorin pulls out some swords and he's like, these were not made by trolls or whatever. And Gandalf is like, oh, they were made by elves and Thorin's like ugh gross and is like about to throw them away and Gandalf's like literally shut up you would be so blessed like you would be so lucky to have a a sword made by elves like shut up which <laughs> and Thorin rethinks it a bit and, why do and elves, decides to take them why are elves also good at that that's something that bugs me a little bit. I'm like, yeah, I don't understand. That's the dwarfish I thought, thing. A dwarfish yeah, sword. The dwarf thing. Yeah, should be like the amazing. They established in the very beginning of the movie that like Erebor was like a like finely constructed thing. I don't know. It's like the elves have wealth um, and privilege. They have everything. The dwarves are the amazing the builders. They're all hot and yeah, they're immortal. They, and- uh, yeah, they've got some. They've got some features, if you know what I mean. And then the hobbits are like the every folk. You know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I did also kind of question that. It's like, well, why are the... I guess it's just because they have the ability to make like magical swords that very conveniently glow blue whenever enemies are nearby. Gandalf, they're all leaving and Gandalf steps on something and it's a tiny little sword that he gives to Bilbo. And I was mm-hmm. like, oh, it's... I mean, we, we know... for you. <laughs> <laughs> we know it's Sting, um, but right now it doesn't have a name. And I'm like, oh, it's so cute and tiny. And Bilbo's like, I don't I don't want that. I don't know how to use a sword. <laughs> and Gandalf's like, I hope you never have to use it. And then he said... And then there's this moment where I could very clearly tell that, like, they knew from the first Lord of the Rings movies that there are these moments, these Gandalf moments where a lot of people will sit and really resonate with like what he says and people like really walk away with that in their heads and they're like we're gonna do that again but a couple more times and we're gonna make it happen and it felt a little forced to me when he says um like true courage is not is not knowing when to take a life but when to spare one he may have said something to this extent um in the book or maybe it was paraphrased or i I don't know but that that is a very you know sentimental quote or whatever and also, it kind of sets Bilbo up for his later encounter with Gollum. Right. But again, it's like, why would Gandalf be concerned about Bilbo killing someone? Like, this feels like something he would say to Thorin. I think, no, I think he was trying to, I think he looks at Bilbo, you know, as being very, like, innocent and naive. And he wants him to stay innocent and naive, despite the fact that he literally, when Bilbo was like, will I, like, come back from this? And will I be the same? And Gandalf was like, no, <laughs> you will be very changed. Right. I was about to say. It's like, you know, I don't think he cares that much about Bilbo's more of like his nature. And I don't know, I guess I just question yeah. a little bit of like, does he, is he really concerned that Bilbo's nature is going to change from this journey? I don't know. I, I still have the whole movie to see. Yeah. And then they're all concerned because they think 
someone is coming. They're like, something's coming. Something's happening. And they're all getting ready to fight. And then Bilbo pulls out Sting and it is not blue. Um, and so that's our tip off that it is not an that's enemy. Your, that's your blues clues. <laughs> it's our favorite wizard, Radagast the Brown. Oh, boy. And that's when I was like, oh, he does have a purpose. Maybe. Um, <laughs> and this is when we move into introducing what will be our kind of like secondary plot line for this trilogy, which is a lot of things that I don't quite understand. And like I lose track of exactly what's happening and like why it's happening. But basically, it's all these things that they are showing as like lead up to Sauron's like the return of Sauron and the rise of Sauron so that he gets to be to the point that he's at when we see him in Fellowship and in Lord of the Rings. Which I'll admit, I did not remember like is Sauron already back when this story is happening and I couldn't recall. So, he, so yeah, so that's the thing is in the Hobbit when when Tolkien was writing the Hobbit, he necessarily didn't have any idea yet of you know, someone called Sauron and this immense, you know, dark lord and this battle for, you know, all humankind or whatever for Middle Earth. He did create this character called the Necromancer that he, like, very briefly, it's like my favorite thing ever about The Hobbit is that Gandalf does, he just leaves and you do not see it because because it's a book that follows Bilbo's perspective. You don't see what Gandalf gets up to. And when you meet up with him later... At the end of the book, he mentioned something about like, oh, yeah, we were dealing with this necromancer, but I think it should be it should be fine for now. <laughs> and uh, I think he I think Tolkien later on, obviously, I think used that character to grow into Sauron in the realm of like the Hobbit movies where we know what's going to happen later. They are using this character and this like subplot of um, like darkness returning and dark because Gandalf, Gandalf and Thorin also talk about like trolls don't usually come this far south. Yeah. And so the, the necromancer that Radagast introduces and talks about with what he experienced is what eventually will like turn into Sauron. That was a very long winded answer. Did that in- provide any insight? I mean, if you say so, I'm, um, <laughs> oh, I'm struggling to remember anything from these movies and it to me it just comes across as sort of like another thing because we already have the pale orc where do you have smog i know we need another subplot i think that's what's going to be i'm going to have similar thoughts about this subplot because it does return a lot throughout the rest of these movies of like gandalf and some other characters dealing with this rising growing darkness and like the consequences of of that as long as saruman doesn't show up then i'll be okay okay we go into oh boy more well it's not necessarily exposition because it just happened but it's sort of a flashback radagast explains what just happened at dole golder i have no clue how they said this dole golder dole golder Gesundheit. Thank you. He followed the he he followed the spiders to in this trail to Dolgolder and there's like a statue of one of the the ring wraiths and it's very much Doctor Who don't blink oh, is vibes. Is that what that was? Okay. It's the only episode of Doctor Who I've ever watched. Oh, okay. <laughs> so that's my only frame of reference. But um as he's walking past you see the hand of a of the statue of one of the ring wraiths grip his sword. It's very creepy and it's like coming to life. Radagast is saying stuff about like people who 
know how to take lives are back again. And then a ghost pops out and then Slender Man pops out. Yeah. And then Radagast rides, runs away screaming on his sleigh of bunnies. Heck yeah. Well, I was wondering too. I was like, oh man, that is that tying in at all with the dead army from Return of the King? Probably not. He kind of look that that's the thing is the ghost that pops out kind of looks like the king of that ghost army slightly and i i had the same thought too you could retcon so much of return to the king with this movie let's like, go back and do it so yeah this new enemy that is being referred to as the necromancer who by the way is also voiced by benedict cumberbatch he voices both the necromancer and smaug really I forgot the necromancer yeah. even made a sound. <laughs> so. It's the, I don't think he might not have spoken in this clip, but I believe uh, he okay. does like speak later on. Right now, he's just kind of like, a, he's just a shadow person. You know, Slender Man is what I'm calling him. He, he looks very much like Slender Man. Fair enough. Radagast is freaking out and Gandalf is like, have a little bit of old Toby. And then again, we get a random, I don't know, it's maybe 10 seconds, but it's 10 seconds that I don't think we need of showing Radagast taking a hit off of his pipe and then like his eyes going wonky and then like relaxing. And it's like, we didn't need that. We could have, we didn't need that, but that's okay. I guess it's just showing Gandalf and Radagast being quirky together. Yeah, I guess. Although they kind of forget that Gandalf kind of looks down on him a little bit. You know, there's not as much, you know, electricity in their dynamic as I was expecting. I was like, True. oh, yay, yeah, they're going to kind of have their own little thing. But then it's just. Yeah, because Gandalf know. is very, very much like, okay, Radagast, let's like, I don't know, kind of like if you are working a customer service job and like the same person who's like a little bit off their rocker yeah. always shows up they and like, you're like okay they're here again they, they pack like a lunch that is way too smelly of like oh god you're gonna put that in the microwave like that kind of person <laughs> and so then we get a battle that we didn't really ask for <laughs> pointless wargs show up because oh i forgot to mention i think earlier after all that exposition about the battle and the dwarves and a azog uh, we like zoom out and there are some orcs or some kind of creatures being like tell the boss we found the dwarf scum yeah they're wargs and they're being hunted they, they remind for me for some reason they have i think they have the same name as the wargs from game of thrones that kind of threw me off are they not just called oh oh, oh, oh. that's right they are from Gundabad, which sounds like a German theme park. It sounds like the name of like a character in Pinocchio who Gun gets turned into a donkey, donkey or something. Yeah. Gundabad is a place now. I mean, these are Gundabad wargs. wargs. For some reason, they are, they are hunting the dwarves. And for whatever reason, they have like found them. You know, obviously it's like, well, plot is the reason that they found them now because... The, if they had found Thorin, you know, five years ago, it wouldn't be happening now. But Radagat, <laughs> yeah, that's it. Gandalf is like, these are Gundabad wargs. There's no outrunning them. And Radagas goes like, well, these are whatever rabbits. Yeah, yeah. They ain't seen nothing yet. Well, then, and, and also he sort of, he questions Thorin too, Gandalf does, of like, who did you tell about this? Like kind of alluding to the yeah. idea that... You know, they're being hunted because apparently someone found out that they're doing this adventure, I guess. Which I don't think anything ever comes of that, though. Really? Of like, I mean, I'll, you know, find out later. But yeah, when Gandalf is like, who did you tell? And he's like, no one, no one. You know, you would expect for that to turn into a moment later on where you find out maybe maybe like one of the younger dwarves or like one of the other dwarves who's like yeah, yeah, not yeah. as careful or whatever. It's like, 
actually, I did tell my neighbor and my neighbor's friends with blah, blah, blah. And, you know, and I don't think anything ever comes of that, which is weird. It's odd because I, yeah, like, how do they know that they're there? And like, why is it happening now? Right. This also leads to something I can't stand, which, and I have a question for you in relation to this. So we see- Might not be able to answer that. (laughs) So we see Radagast, right? Like, he's like, I'm going to, I'm going to distract them. You know, I'm going to do the sacrifice thing. I'm going to, and he, he does it. He's super fast. And I'm like, ah, yeah, he's fun. Which side note, I'm, I'm the last person to be like, Tolkien originally intended for it to mean this or for this to happen. I'm the last person to care about authorial intent. However, I doubt Tolkien ever intended for Radagast the Brown to be leading a chase with a sleigh full of bunnies um, across the lands of Middle Earth being chased by wargs and orcs. Agree to disagree. (laughs) I could see it, but only because I want it to be. But but here's my thing, though. They still get caught. Yes. So what he does ends up not mattering. So then Radagast is that it for that character? Goes on this huge chase, leads the wargs and orcs in another direction, and the dwarves sneak off because, oh, very important to mention, the ponies have bolted and they are no longer here. And this is important to mention because in the books, two dozen ponies are viciously, brutally killed. The first round of ponies that would have been this round had they stayed with them are later eaten by orcs. It's terrifying. Tolkien, for whatever reason, decided to add in the details like, oh, by the way, goblins are always hungry. And in particular, they love eating ponies. That's So it's sad to say that they never saw those ponies again. And it's like, why did we need to know that, Tolkien? I don't remember then, that part of the kid's book called The Hobbit. The next set of ponies that they get are, most of them are eaten by Smaug. And Smaug is like, I could taste the dwarf on the ponies that I ate. Gross. And it's like, oh my God. So I this is my favorite change that they made from the book to the movie. They made it so that the ponies get away from this terrifying cursed group of dwarves and hopefully those ponies go off and live a beautiful life and one of them goes on to give birth to build the pony well you know and i think i think that there is a movie about their adventure it's called spirit um and there's a sequel called spirit (laughs) oh yeah so. And for some reason, spirit is a really hot horse. Like, how do they make a <laughs> how do they make a horse, an animated horse, hot? <laughs> That's above my pay grade. Uh, so then Legolas comes in and starts killing all of them. Legolas? Oh wait, I'm sorry, it wasn't Legolas. It's Killy. I was gonna say for whatever reason, he has a bow and arrow. <laughs> they turn Killy into this group's Legolas, and all of a sudden he's this like archer extraordinaire. And I half expected for Thor because Thorin kept being like, Killy, one of over there, like shoot go. him down Killy, no, we got to get back. And I'm like, Killy's like, and, and I half expect for him to go, Killy, what do your elf eyes see? And Killy's just like, that's four, <laughs> that's five. Yeah, six, <laughs> seven. Um, yeah, so Keely has been elevated to like the group's archer. And there is one point where they're all hiding behind a rock and there's a single warg and orc on top of them. And for whatever, and the orc isn't even attacking them. And Thorin's like, Keely, get him. Yeah, yeah. And they kill him and then they make enough noise that the orcs and wargs that are being chased away by Radagast now know where the dwarves are so you are correct this diversion that was working is now no longer working yeah and they have been i guess it gave them enough time to get away to a point where they could escape but they ruined it (laughs) for themselves small comforts (laughs) 
they get to this like random rock. I don't, I don't even know, crevice mm-hmm. in like the middle of this field. And, lucky stuff. Wow, lucky. And Gandalf like looks around and it's kind of like, I know where we are. And Thorin says at one point, he's like, he's like, where, what, like, where are you leading us? Where do we go? And Gandalf says nothing. And then at one point, Gandalf like just jumps down into this cave and they're all like where did Gandalf go he abandoned us and then he's like this way you fools they all jump down into this little cave area and then we hear a horn and some other riders and fighters up above on the land start fighting and killing and chasing the wargs and orcs away from the horn I half expected it to be Rohan and I half expected to see Theoden and Eomer roll yeah. up. Well, when I saw the soldiers, I was just like, wait, what so, is that? Who are they? Are we about to see some rangers? And is yeah. one of those rangers possibly going to be Viggo Mortensen? <laughs> hmm. <laughs> but no, they pull out uh, an, or- an orc body rolls down and it has an arrow in it and they pull it out and they can tell from the arrow that it was elves. And then they're like, oh, well, this cave, we don't like, I don't know where this is leading, but let's just go this way anyway. What else are we going to do? And so they start walking this way. You see all of the dwarves look off in the distance and some of them have like wonder or like shock and Thorin looks very upset and disgruntled, mm-hmm. but they don't reveal what it is until you see Bilbo's reaction. And I really liked that choice because this is Bilbo that we're following. It's Bilbo's story. And then we pan around and we show that it is Rivendell. Which when they said that, I was like, Riverdale? (laughs) He does kind of, the way he says it Mm -hmm. does kind of, because Gandalf is like, this is Imla, Imla Driss, better known, like otherwise known to other people as, and then, uh, yeah, uh, Bilbo goes, Rivendale, Rivendale, and it sounds like Riverdale. (laughs) There's Betty on the case. (laughs) And for some reason, the Zodiac murderer is after them, and uh, there's, <laughs> there's a maple syrup drug. Hey, there is going a gargoyle king. Uh, <laughs> that kind of fits, actually. And Jughead is a gang leader now, somehow. Yeah, yeah, leader of the Ringwraiths. Um. I, haven't wa- I haven't watched that show in forever. I'd be so interested to see what's happening. I don't think you're missing out. Thorin is very angry. And Gandalf is like, you're an idiot. Uh, there are no, like, no one here, none of these elves are going to have a problem with you. You're the one with a problem with them. Like, no one here. It's technically the el- it's the elves of Mirkwood that he specifically has a beef with. Yeah. Then Gandalf is, I just love, like, the sass of Gandalf being like, this is a matter of, because they're like, they're not going to like what we're doing. They they might try and stop us, which I don't understand. That isn't at all a thing in the book. They do stop in Rivendell and they do stop with Elrond. Elrond helps them and everything. I don't understand why there's this like plot line going on while they're in Rivendell that like, oh, they can't know what we're doing. Yeah. They're going to stop us. It's like I was curious about that. It's like, why would they... Because they don't approve, like they don't want them, they care about them. To get their treasure back. Yeah, Um, I don't understand why that's a thing. uh, To me, it would make more sense for him to just be like, I don't trust them. Like, what if they try to get the treasure for themselves? Like, that's been established, right? Yeah. Is that what he means, though, by stopping? Gandalf does say, he's like, you're right, they won't, they probably will try and stop us. So that's why you need to leave all the talking to me, because this is going going to involve like a lot of tact. Mm. No offense, bro. Yeah. <laughs> you are not great at that. <laughs> Especially with people that they mutually hate. Yeah. Oh, the the one thing though I wish I could say about like we get all these great reactions from the dwarves and Bilbo as they, you know, are coming across and they're seeing Rivendell. I wish I could say I was also blown away, but it very much looks like 
either a painted backdrop or um you know like yeah. animated or, or something it doesn't look that spectacular it's, it's sort of played as like amazing right and it's like well we've seen it before like in the other movies we've seen bilbo in rivendell it's like well yeah but aren't you happy to see it again and it's like yeah sure. and the same um the same theme like elven and mm-hmm. rivendell theme musical themes come in familiar. and play then too it's that it's that like choral You can tell, like, they're so aping, and for obvious reason, but they're so aping the plot structure of Fellowship of the Ring. And I understand, like, Hobbit and Fellowship were always a little bit similar in some ways, but not really in, I don't know, it, it, it's the same thing. It's like, you start with the Hobbit, you start with Gandalf, and then going the adventure kind of begins, there's the setback, and then we're in Rivendell. It's like, I don't know, it's a little repetitive. I know that's... I think that's pretty accurate to the book and everything, but it just feels too similar. I think that's like the big thing is like, it feels similar to Lord of the Rings, but it's not Lord of the Rings. So it's like, yeah, I think that's like kind of where I'm taking issue with this is whenever there are moments of like reminding us or trying to like play into comfort based off of like familiarity. So this movie, I I didn't totally love how the movie opened up with Elijah Wood and Ian Holm there right off the bat like I maybe would have preferred it to for them to like come in at the very end of the last movie as like a fun just like a fun little last thing I wanted to see Martin Freeman's Bilbo right away you know I wanted to get into the story I think it would have been fine if there was like a little bit you know like you see him writing at the journal a little bit of voiceover but for only like 10 seconds and then you cut right to Martin Freeman yeah and I think they were trying to like play too much into like we're reminding you of what Lord of the Rings was and we're reminding you like how much you loved those movies and those characters to maybe try and like get you into a uh, like state of familiarity that's comfort that's comforting um, so that you're also like comfortable and comforted by this movie as well and these characters as well. But it mostly it's like the opposite of that where it just reminds me that like, hey, this is not that movie. <laughs> We're not watching Fellowship of the Ring. That's a very good point. MC, Mary Clay. Yes. I promised you a pun. The the reason I Have didn't do it before the whole time was because it's too epic for Okay. An aside. So here we go. You ready? Okay. All right. Okay. All right. You know how Hobbit has um, a lot of musical asides, you know? Every once in a while, it's like the dwarves will. Yeah, yeah. Well, this is our musical aside for that's what I'm talking about. Um, So here we go. With Thorin adventuring, (laughs) there's not a golem, even with the one ring. We're breaking free. Okay, that's all I have. (laughs) Sorry. That's so good. I couldn't We're resist. Thorin. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Styling. That was good. A, that was in the drafts. Um, there's not if a someone goblin. Someone could do a yeah. like a could create a song yeah. to help you remember all of the names of the dwarves. Yeah, yeah. So it would be like We're Thorin, Balin, <laughs> yeah. Dorian, Nori, Nor- and Keel. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Keely and Feely too. He eats Don't and he doesn't. Yeah, exposition. Gloin dwarf. and oin. We could workshop this. <laughs> we have more time. I love that. I love. It. Yeah, we're at two hours, so I'm gonna start wrapping this thing up. John, thank you so much for coming on and for watching the first half of 
a movie, whether or not you liked it or not, is up to you. Um, and if you want to watch the rest of it, good for you. Sure. I would maybe I would maybe just finish this movie. I won't make you watch. <laughs> I might. The, just because the idea of not the idea in my brain of only watching half of a movie is it's like weird. so chaotic. It's like I have so many. I don't think threads. I could live with that. <laughs> um, it's like leaving half of a TV show just to sit in your Netflix for like three days, and it's like just finish the show. So maybe finish the movie. I won't make you watch the other two movies. <laughs> <laughs> All right, sounds good. And I and I'll just say the the fact that this went for about two hours is probably the only expected thing of this journey. That is true. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, where can people find you on the internet, and what would you like to share with the audience? If they are courageous enough, if they're willing for an adventure, they can follow me on Twitter at John Agroni, where they will find my podcast Cinemaholics, where I review new movies every week with Will Ashton. I don't just talk about older films and I'm also the film editor for the young folks. And so I'm not writing as many reviews as I used to and more editing other people's stuff. So you won't read a ton of stuff from me, but you will read things that I said are okay to publish. And so that's something, I guess. That's what's important. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Um, Tolkien could have very much needed an editor Ooh, sometimes. So harsh. That's What I'm Talking About is a proud member of WBE. You can learn more about the network by going to WBE.org, where you will find all of our shows like Perspective Z. What's that? A podcast? Crazy, funky, junky podcast? Do you ever wonder what goes through the minds of the people that watch the last good Disney Channel shows? Or if you can wear skinny jeans and a side part without looking old? Well, then you should check out our podcast, Perspective Z, hosted by us, Katrina. And Rachel. We discuss TikTok trends, politics, new co-hosts, hey, and everything in between to give you our perspective as two Gen Z ladies trying to figure out our place in the world. Listen along to hear our thoughts and opinions as Katrina enters the world as a high school grad and Rachel figures out her next steps. So make sure to check out new episodes of Perspective Z every Monday on the WBNE network at WBNE.org or wherever you get your podcasts. Now on Spotify. Toodles! The cover is by Graphite, a.k.a. Vaishon Brandon. You can support him on Instagram at graphite.vmb. You can get merch for That's What I'm Talking About by clicking on the link in the episode description or going to tpublic.com slash user slash Pod. You can find the podcast on Twitter and Instagram at TolkienAboutPod, and you can also join the Facebook group, which I sometimes forget to plug each week. You can find me on Twitter at mcwhatsup and Instagram at mcturndownforwhat. You can support the podcast by becoming a patron. Go to patreon.com slash TolkienAboutPod to explore the different tiers and perks that are available. You can join our Discord server for $3 a month, or you can become a sponsor like Mayor. Mayor, thank you so much for being a sponsor of That's What I'm Talking About and for remaining a longtime sponsor. I very much appreciate your support. And as always, if you like what you're listening to, please rate and review. Please let people uh, of iTunes, let the folks of iTunes know why you like my podcast. Um, I know there are lots of other Lord of the Rings and Tolkien related podcasts out there and let the people know why you like mine in particular. And another reminder that if you haven't already, please take the listener survey that I am doing now that I have done two years of podcasting, which is insane. Well, thank you so much for coming on again. Do you have any parting words for the audience? Good evening. And I really just mean good evening, whether you like it or not. And that's what I'm talking about. Mm